Welcome back to That's Gotta Be Wrestling, the wrestling review podcast. I am your host, Tommy, joined by my beautiful co-host, as always. Olivia. Yes, and we are here to review WWE Clash of Champions 2020, which took place September 27th, 2020, which is today when we're recording, but yesterday when you hear this, and took place at the WWE Thunderdome in Orlando, Florida. Never get tired of saying that, with an attendance of zero, even though they had that fake crowd in there. I guess there are real people in there, but I'm not going to count all the little blocks of people that are there, so it's zero people. Um, But before we get started, uh, as we did when uh, Kamala died about a month or two back, um, we're going to pay just a short tribute to Road Warrior Animal, who died on September September 22nd, um, which was about a week ago, uh, at the age of 60 from natural causes. Um, Sadly, this was about 12 days after his 60th birthday, so a little close, but uh, Road Warrior Animal was part of the legendary tag team, the Legion of Doom slash the Road Warriors from the uh, 80s, 90s, and even the 2000s before Road Warrior Hawk died. So both of the Road Warriors are unfortunately dead. Did you really get a chance to see a lot of the Road Warriors? I guess not, but did you watch any of their kind of stuff through network or DVDs or anything or familiar with any of their work? Yeah, I mean, my problem is, is that I kind of just watch we'll just watch random pay-per-views from random years, so um, I'm sure there's been somewhere in there that I've watched, like, a match or two, but I'm, like, not familiar, uh, like, with their gimmick or, like, their any of their matches or anything. Right. Oh, we'll get to them. They're so badass. These guys are considered, like, one of the greatest tag teams of all time. They have held titles in every single place you can imagine, from every promotion in the United States to Mexico, United, or Japan, and whatnot, so... Uh, they're they're pretty great, and unfortunately, you know, World War Animal passed away. But on a more you know fun note, we're going to talk about Clash of Champions. Uh, we start with the pre-show as we always do, and they're calling it the Gold Rush Clash of Champions kickoff show, which is kind of just stupid and kind of redundant and moot because if it's Gold Rush, of course, all the gold's on the line. If you're wondering what Clash of Champions is. It is uh, the pay-per-view where every title is on the line. So from the most measly title to the most you know, important championship. Uh, we're told that uh, by Charlie Caruso on the kickoff show that both the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship match and the SmackDown Women's Championship match will not happen as planned uh, because of medical reasons. And do you have a single guess to what those medical reasons would be? Oh, definitely COVID. Yeah, they've got COVID. So both Shayna Baszler, Nia Jax, and Nikki Cross are all out of the pay-per-view. Um, we are then see some backstage se- segments as we're going to see a lot on the kickoff shows. Um, not a lot really to be said. I mean, it's just, you know, the, um, the panel talking about matches and superstars interrupting them and saying, I'm going to win. And then the, their opponent being like, I'm going to win. Of course, that's what's going to happen. Um, however, we did get a pretty funny moment um, at the panel where I was taking notes and you said, what the fuck is happening? And I look up and our truth is there, dressed as like an old prospector with like a flannel and overalls and like a gray beard and wig because he's disguising himself, he holds the 24-7 championship, which means that it can be defended to 24-7. And they're telling him, you need to be careful, people know who you are, and he's pretending he's not our truth So I thought that was pretty humorous. We then go to the WWE SmackDown Tag Team Championship match, um, the Artist Collective, which are uh, Antonio Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura, the champions, taking on Kalisto and Lince Dorado of the Lucha House Party. So... This match was actually pretty decent in my book, but we'll get to kind of why in a moment. Um, there is a lot of... So Lucha House Party, it's the first time being on their podcast, on our podcast, um, are known for their high-flying Mexican-style Lucha Libre, and Cesaro and Nakamura are known for more technical and brawler or strong style. Um, so it's a nice little mix between the two. Um, a lot of power from um, the heels, um, sort of taking it to Lince Dorado right from the beginning. Um, Kalisto gets a hot tag sometime later and uh, tosses Cesaro out of the ring. Kalisto goes for a over-the-top rope tornado DDT, but is caught by Cesaro. He then holds him up at sort of a uh, horizontal level and Lince Dorado runs through the ropes, grabs Kalisto's legs, giving him the momentum to finish that tornado DDT, which was probably the highlight of the match, something I've never seen before. Uh, Lince Dorado hits Cesaro with super kick number 39 of the show. 
Dorado is then launched into the WWE Thunderdome, which is kind of stupid because if there's no crowd, who are you launching him into? But I thought that was a little funny. He hit like one of the boards and it kind of glitched out. Uh, Cesaro and Nakamura then finish off Kalisto with a swing to Kinshasa combo to retain their titles. And what do we think? Um, to be honest, I mean, of course it's like a pre-show match, so I am kind of not surprised. Uh, but I just thought this match was a little short. Um, I feel like for they they definitely built momentum quickly in the match, um, but for good reason because it was extremely short. <laughs> um, but I I hope to see I don't know I guess like more matches like this. I'm a fan of tag matches, so um, this was this was bad decent. Do we do we have to give pre-show matches a rating? I mean, I gave it a grade. So we haven't talked a lot of the pre-show matches because we either come to them a little later because um, unfortunately we both work. Um, and we don't want to be up until one in the morning recording this, but um, we were able to catch this right from the beginning. So I'd say let's just give it a, a quick rate. Okay. Got one off yeah. The top of your head. Um, so just off the top of my head, I have to say I probably give it like a three out of five. Okay. Like, um, I like all of the competitors in the match. Of course, I wish that um, WWE would continue to give Shinsuke like the opportunities that he like deserves, and as well as Cesaro. Um, this match was kind of short, so that's like really the only like critical note that I have. Yeah, it was a short match. Pre-show matches usually are. Fortunately, I think this is probably the best one we've covered so far, though, which yeah isn't saying much, but it's not a detriment to the match. Um, Lucha House Party need Lucha House Party. It's hard to say for some weird reason. Need um a lot more screen time, in my opinion. I mean, I love Luchador style wrestling, and they're a throwback to that old like seventies and eighties style Lucha, while also mixing in current day high flying that's a lot of fun um i also gave it a three out of five i thought that spot that i mentioned with the kind of helping his tag partner hit that tornado ddt was really interesting something i would seen before so yeah that is the uh pre-show match and then we go back to the panel talking about matches this guy's gonna win this guy's gonna win. do you ever notice that the heel commentators are always like the heel's gonna win and the face commentators are like the face just like why do you like I never wonder who JBL is going to pick. He's always going to pick the fucking heel. <laughs> yeah. Like, so it's just, it's kind of silly, but I guess it's a time to get people screen time. It's a way to get Booker T and JBL their paychecks. So yeah, did you, did give, you, it gives them something to do. Yeah. Did you notice Renee Young's absence? Cause this is the first kickoff show we've ever had without Renee Young. Aside from her having COVID for a month, a few um, I hate to admit it, but I kind of didn't even notice. You didn't notice? No. <laughs> um, you know, I have to be honest with you, my, my feelings about Renee are a little bit weird, and let me tell you why. I feel as though she's very knowledgeable, obviously, um, but I feel as though she, I mean, she was definitely given an opportunity to, um, who, who, and was invited to be on commentary. Um, and then of sort of kind of became this like pre-show kind of announcing personality. Um, but I feel like, I don't know, like her, her type of role is very, unfortunately for her, very unnecessary and very expendable. So maybe that's why I didn't notice. Um, don't get me wrong. I love Renee. Uh, and I'm like good for her for whatever ventures that she chooses in the next chapter of her life. But, AEW. um, <laughs> Her husband happens to be champion. Then. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. I feel bad for saying... Because I was such a big Renee advocate for so long. Um, especially when she was on commentary and there were the majority of fans who were very critical of her. I was right. in her corner for the longest time. But I feel bad kind of saying that I just didn't notice. <laughs> I think Renee Young was like a really... Like a good commentator. But then Beth Phoenix started commentating. And Beth Phoenix had been in the ring. Yes, and was like exactly. much better at it. So it's not like Renee Young was bad. Exactly. It's that unfortunately well, Beth, Beth is, Phoenix... <laughs> was better. Beth is so, fabulous. Yeah. So we then move on to the main show. We start with the Intercontinental Championship match. Uh, the champion, Jeff Hardy, taking on the champion, Sami Zayn, taking on AJ Styles in a ladder match. And I say both Jeff Hardy and Sami Zayn are champion because Sami Zayn won the Intercontinental title in February of this year. Um, and, and I think April or even early May said, you know what, I'm not comfortable competing with the coronavirus going on. So he took some time off and WWE said, well, we can't not have an intercontinental title. So they had a tournament, AJ Styles won it. And then Jeff Hardy won the title from him. And then Sami Zayn returned and stick claim to be an intercontinental champion because he never lost it. 
which is a storyline I thought was really interesting until my brain clicked and I said, wow, this happened in 1994 with Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon, and that was the first televised ladder match in WWF history. So, but again, you know, why not recycle old storylines? As we've done with more hardcore matches, I'm not going to go through every beat because there is a lot of spots. Ladder matches are known for you get on top, you climb the ladder, pull down the belt, you're the champion, or whatever is hanging above the ring. Um, they're also known for crazy, insane, high-flying spots, especially from Jeff Hardy, who's been doing this for 21 years. And as much as I love him and he's entertained me for that long, please stop trying to kill yourself, Jeff, because good God, you were in your 40s and you can't handle it anymore. Um, however, I'm going to go over the really big spots in this. So there are a lot of backdrops on ladders. Sami Zayn got launched off of one. Like he hit it and then he flew like six feet the other way from Ricochet, which was pretty awesome. Not the wrestler Ricochet, but Ricochet, you know, physics. Uh, <laughs> there was a spot where Jeff Hardy hung the ladder upside down for some reason. And then he was throwing rib first into it and it like broke. And I wasn't watching you, but I heard you go, ugh. And just because, again, stop trying to murder yourself. Um, so Jeff Hardy does a whisper in the wind off of the steps onto AJ into the barricade. And then Sami Zayn just runs out of nowhere and kicks Jeff Hardy into the face and launches him over the barricade. And that was the second time I heard you go, ugh. Because, like, just why are you guys going so hard in a match where there's no crowd? Uh, there was a spot where Jeff Hardy is on the ladder. And this is a spot I've all, that's always given me anxiety because I hate heights. And it's when the wrestler is on the other side and lifts the ladder. So the, basically the wrestler who's climbing the ladder is going backwards and they can't see. So Jeff starts to crawl across the ladder onto the other side and it gets hung on the rope. But what I think was supposed to happen, it was supposed to stick on the rope. However, it did not because again, physics. And Jeff Hardy and the ladder crash into each other and buckle on the outside, which looked disgusting. And I think the third time I heard you make... Uh, noise of disgust uh, Sammy then gets placed on a ladder bridge and Jeff kicks AJ Styles in the balls and then climbs a 20 foot ladder and hits a swanton bomb into Sammy Zayn through a ladder uh, AJ and Jeff fight for a bit until Sammy somehow gets back up pulls out handcuffs and this was the sixth or seventh time I heard you go ugh during the match because Jeff Hardy has gauges and they're quite big gauges and Sammy takes the handcuff and sticks it through Jeff Hardy's ear and then handcuffs him to a ladder. So Jeff Hardy has handcuffs on his ear and handcuffs on a ladder and then handcuffs himself to AJ Styles who proceeds to knock him out, puts Sammy on his shoulders to climb the ladder and I'm starting to get really anxious because this can go wrong. And as this is happening, Jeff Hardy picks up the ladder that is stuck to his ear and starts to carry it into the ring and Sammy somehow has the key in his mouth to his handcuffs, unhooks it, kicks AJ in the face, and grabs both titles to win the Intercontinental Championship, or to retain the Intercontinental Championship. It's kind of, you know, that's up for debate, I guess. But what do we think of this pretty interesting triple threat ladder match? Okay, so I'm just going to go out and say that this was probably the most exciting match of the night. Um... I thought it was pretty awesome that Jeff Hardy died, like, 42 times in this match. <laughs> He's Kenny. Um, yeah, because, like, what else would he do being Jeff Hardy? Uh, there was a super, like, unintentionally hilarious spot where, like, Jeff Hardy, like, gets in the ring and is, like, attempting to push the ladder over that Sami Zayn <laughs> is on. And so Sami jumps off. And then AJ Styles comes, like, flying out of nowhere, like, into the ring, okay? Like, trying to, like, I guess, jump into the ring and onto the ladder um but then the ladder like hits aj and then sammy like jumps off the ladder so he's like completely unharmed but then the ladder tips over and like bounces off the ring and then hits jeff like in the face and so i just that that was fucking awesome uh you also then, laughed at aj like throwing a mini ladder at <laughs> sammy zane's face yeah that was gonna be my second point that i just thought it was like really hilariously awesome that like he, like, chucks this tiny ladder and AJ Styles, who's, like, on the ladder. And it's just, I just had to laugh so hard because it, like, it was, first of all, in a ladder match, like, why the fuck do we have these, like, little itty-bitty, like, tiny ladders? Like, where the fuck did that come from? It's for from? people like me who are scared of heights. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, 
this match was pretty decent. I give it a 3.5 out of 5. Um, the only reason why I didn't get a, a higher rating was the earlobe thing just made me cringe super. Like, I there was a good, like, maybe, like, two or three minutes where I was not watching the TV. Yeah, she was, like, gripping my hand. Because I just, that shit is so disgusting and can go so wrong so quickly. And, like, I, I don't know. We'll like, get any of the, any of, like, the, like, quote-unquote piercing spots that they've ever done in, like, particularly in the last, like, few years, I just can't watch. It's too gross. We'll get to it, but there was a lip, or a nose ring tear, and it was a fake nose ring, but it looked real, that got torn out of someone's nose, and then Jeff Hardy also had a screwdriver put into his earlobe and mm -hmm. then twisted around, which I thought was awesome, but Olivia did not. Um, disgusting. I love the earlobe spot because it's that sort of disgusting thing that's, like, only in fucking wrestling. And he's, like, it's obviously painful, but not, like, so much to where it's, like, going to debilitate the dude. But it's just gross, and I kind of love it. Um, I really like this match. Jeff Hardy just, like, bro, thank you for everything you've done for my entertainment, but please stop. Please stop. You look like you died at least three times, and I don't want you to die because I love you, and you were awesome. But, again, thank you for putting your body on the line for me to be able to yell holy shit numerous times. Um... This match for me got a four point or a four out of five, not a four point five. Um, I thought it was pretty innovative in some of those spots, especially the earlobe thing, and the way that Sammy won the title because that was or retained the title. That was really interesting and something I had not seen before, at least in a ladder match. Um, and these guys really went all out, and I made the joke like, "Why are you doing that for people who aren't in the crowd?" But there's still a crowd at home, so they entertained me. They entertained you. I'm sure they entertained hundred thousand million more people. But yeah, four, four out of five for me. We then cut backstage to R-Truth, Prospector R-Truth again, uh, who burst into the referee's room, I think it was, right? Yeah, I, I put room, but I think it was referee's room. And they're like, what are you doing here? And then he gets <laughs> rolled up by Drew, Gal Drew, Drew Gulak out of nowhere and who now wins the 24-7 title. So this title was on the line on this show. Um, we're not going to give this a grade because it's not really a match, but I thought that was funny. Um, you didn't watch a lot of Attitude Era stuff, at least like live obviously but this is reminiscent of the hardcore title which had a 24 7 rule however the hardcore title had like weapons and violence and was a lot of fun this is more the pg style of it but i mean when you have r-truth kind of holding a title 50 times that he can win just by rolling up people it's pretty hilarious even though it's kind of stupid um did you like this moment at all or were you just like whatever i just i just don't get like you cannot pay me to give like one single fuck about the 24 7 <laughs> title like i just I don't, like, of course, yes, R-Truth is funny and campy and people enjoy it, but I just, I don't know. I'm not really that entertained by it. <laughs> it it's, it, it was funny. Okay, it was, it's one of those things where it's like, where someone will repeat a joke, like, 15 times, and you're like, oh, haha, -ha, like, yeah, it was funny, like, the first time you said it, but definitely not the 15th time you said it, <laughs> and that's how, just how I feel about, like, the same... I guess sort of like gimmick happening with the 24-7 title. So, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> so the, the hardcore title was given to Mick Foley as kind of a joke. Like, thank you for, you know, being so hardcore for our entertainment. And um, then it became like a thing. Like, you looked forward to watching Raw and SmackDown and seeing the um, hardcore title being not really defended, but just on the show because it was funny. And then, uh, the same thing was kind of given to R-Truth, like, thanks for being such a professional for so long that, you know, here's a title that he can win 50 times, and while it's kind of like WWE sucking their own dick, um, you know, R-Truth is a funny guy, he kind of deserved it, even though the title means absolutely nothing. Like, no one's like, oh man, R-Truth is a 50-time 24-7 champion, like, how many times has he won a real title? But, I mean, I was entertained because it was like, stupid and funny and, like, I needed that from watching Jeff Hardy murder himself nine times. Uh, so we then get the WWE Raw Women's Championship, uh, champion Asuka taking on Zelina Vega, and this is the first time she's got a championship opportunity. She split from Angel Garza and Andrade, and she wanted to have championship aspirations, which did not work out for her because she does not get a lot of offense in here. Asuka's experience takes control of Zelina right off the bat. Um, she hits her with a butt bump to the outside, and the only offense Zelina gets is really when she throws Asuka into the steps and starts to work on her left arm, but that's quickly turned into a few Asuka locks. Um, 
Zelina, to her credit, counters a lot of them into arm bars and whatnot, but Asuka finally catches her in like the fifth one and Zelina taps out. Asuka retains her Raw Women's Championship. What do we think? Um, I didn't have a lot of notes for this match, but it was it was very standard. I don't know. I see when there's matches that are very standard and are just okay, like I don't really have anything critical to say about them, then I don't really have anything commendable to say about them. Um, so I'll just say this, that it's like a cool title opportunity um, for Zelina Vega. She's certainly not the only person that we see um, in this pay-per-view get a uh, title match that I don't believe they've ever gotten before. So mm-hmm. that's exciting. Uh, it's exciting to see like new, not like the same like five people um, contend for the same title like right. over and over and over again. Um, so that was like fresh. Um, but there, there was certainly nothing special about this match, and I did make a note that I'm kind of surprised that she's not more of a, like, a high-flying wrestler. Um, definitely her build and her body type lends her Selena Vega to be more of, like, a gymnast type, so mm-hmm. I'm kind of surprised that we don't see, um, her perform more in that way, like, in the ring. Um, but of course, you know, like, it was, it was an okay match. Um, so my final rating was that, uh, it got a 3 out of 5, and there's nothing inherently wrong with it. Uh, it was just a bit short. And the final note that I had was that just, I hate when they make Asuka speak English, because there at the end she, uh, takes a mic from, I believe it was Kayla, uh, and starts to, um you know, commend Zelina being like, oh, like, you know, she was great, but, you know, she wasn't ready for Asuka, and I hate when they make her, you know, speak English, because I feel like she sounds so much more of a, like, a terrifying competitor, like, when she can just, like, really uh, verbalize what she's saying in her native language, which is Japanese, and then it sounds, like, super badass, and then I, I feel like I've made this point in a previous podcast, but, I mean, you're literally broadcasting to an at-home only audience at this point so mm-hmm. there's no reason why there can be subtitles and yeah. i think that that would be way more beneficial and way cooler than making her speak english um but then of course you know zelina vega then retaliates and then oscar gets pissed off and then starts speaking in japanese starts yelling at her and then of course it's just back to like being like see that's that's our point like right. she sounds so much cooler uh when she, you know when she's like that so like why that's I guess that's my only complaint (laughs) I gave it a 2.5 out of 5 for the exact reasons you said it's just the match was fine Zelina looked okay um she'll definitely get another opportunity um Asuka looked good as always too but when it's like a match that's just so like it's fine I just give it a 2.5 because that's like right down the middle it's not bad it's not good and there you go like um you know I like Zelina Vega I like Asuka just didn't really impress me that much. We then move on to the WWE United States Championship match. Uh, Olivia's favorite wrestler, Bobby Lashley, who's the champion, <laughs> coming out with MVP and Shelton Benjamin, taking on the former champion, Apollo Crews, who comes out with Ricochet for uh, reasons, because Ricochet got... Uh, well, I know say, why. Yeah. Because Ricochet got turned on by uh, uh, Cedric Alexander, who's now part of the Hurt Business, but Cedric Alexander was nowhere to be found, so what was yeah. the point of Ricochet coming out? Um, so, we got this match at, God, what was the name of that pay-per-view? Payback. And we kind of got the same here. So, it's power versus power, but Cruz has a lot more speed. There were some nice moments, um, especially like a superplex, um, from Lashley. Um, Paula Cruz launches Lashley into the turbuckle outside, hits Lashley with a body press, standing moonsaults. Cruz counters a dominator, hits a standing shooting star press, and a really nice frog splash, but Lashley catches a running cruise with a choke slam and locks in. It used to be called the Fool Lashley. I'm glad it's not anymore. Now it's called the Hurt Lock, which is, I guess, a better name. Taps out Lashley, or sorry, taps out Cruise to retain the United States Championship. What do we think? Again, no notes, because I just, <laughs> this... Obviously, this is something that we've seen before, and I just I want to clarify: Bobby Lashley is, in fact, not my favorite wrestler. <laughs> um, definitely will never be, and never has been. Uh, I, to be honest with you, dude, I don't know. I just I'm so sick of seeing the same fucking match over and over again, 
and no amount of WWE, you know, juxtaposing Apollo Crews and Bobby Lashley in these different matches, either together or against each other or what have you. I just don't give <laughs> a fuck. Again, you cannot pay me to care. I just don't care. So this match gets a 2.5 out of 5. Nothing special. Okay, so... Again, I gave it the same grade uh, because it's one of the... Like, they're not bad wrestlers. Apollo Crews is very fast, very, you know, good in the ring. And Lashley is a competent wrestler who can do his thing, but it's just not exciting to see. So I gave it a 2.5 because the match is just fine. I did love MVP talking shit on the outside, though. And then when Ricochet goes, what are you doing? He's like, all I'm doing is talking. I'm not doing anything wrong. It's not against the rules. Like, that was legitimately funny. Um, However, I do have a major problem with this whole Hurt Business thing. And here's why. These are four talented guys. MVP's a great talker. Lashley's an okay wrestler. Shelton Benjamin's a very good wrestler, as is Cedric Alexander. On Raw, they are now kind of feuding with Retribution, who we found out who four of the five members are because they tried to put them in these Bane-like masks to hide their faces still. But if you watch NXT, you know who the fuck these people are. Beside the point. So on Raw, they're like, oh, we're faces. We're going to take down Retribution. But there's still heels here, which doesn't make sense. And Retribution... So I'm wiping my face right now. You can't really see. So they took Dominic Dijakovic, who when we did NXT TakeOver Portland, said a lot of good things about. His name is now T-Bar. And for those wondering why, I don't know. But a T-Bar, according to Urban Dictionary is when one is wearing a thong or a G-string, they sit down, their dick sticks out, and you see a T-bar. So you may be thinking, well, maybe they didn't know that that was something weird. Well, there's another part of Retribution, and his name is Slapjack. And if you're thinking that sounds stupid, you're correct. But a Slapjack, according to Urban Dictionary, is the act of ejaculating on one's hand, and then slapping another person in the face. This has to be a rib on these guys, right? Like, like you can't call these guys T-Bar and Slapjack, and then they just happen to be sexual innuendos. Like, this has to be a joke, right? Yeah, I feel like it is. There's also, one of the other guys' name is Mace, which is, I mean, that just means, like, spraying someone in the face. God forbid that means something disgusting as well. The two women haven't gotten names yet, but it's Mia Yim and Mercedes Martinez. I don't know. I can't, I couldn't um, name you a specific example, but I feel like it's one of those instances where, and, and this is where we see, like, kind of that power struggle between, like, Triple H and Vince McMahon, where it seems as though something would usually start out as, like, Triple H's idea. Obviously, he it runs NXT, um, so he takes these members of NXT, you know, creates Retribution, tries to, like, create some storyline that's probably, like, really fucking cool and, like, really dope and, like, really exciting, and then Vince gets his grubby fingers all over it and then makes it this, like, stupid, comedic, almost, like, fuck you to wrestling fans. Right. Um, because it seemed as though that it was going to start out and be like, oh, like, who's Retribution, like, what are they doing, and, like, what's their purpose, and then it turned into fucking, ha-ha, T-Bar yeah. and Slapjack, isn't that hilarious, ha-ha-ha, it, it's almost like, it's almost like somebody emailed Vince and was like, holy shit, dude, like, look at these Urban Dictionary terms, and then Vince was like, yeah, yeah, that's gonna be their names. <laughs> Jesus, and the point I was trying to make is, like, if Hurt Business is like, we're gonna, we're gonna take out Retribution, why was Retribution nowhere to be found? Again, for the third pay-per-view in a row, you're setting these guys up to do something, and they don't do anything. I don't get the point of it, I, and it's yeah, fucking dumb. And it's not to the the hurt of the Hurt Locker, no pun intended, like, they're not. But why wouldn't Retribution show up? That would make logical sense, but they're nowhere to be found. And then they have the... And I have nothing against... Dijakovic or Mia Yim or Mercedes Martinez being a part of this group, that's awesome. Well, Mia Yim a little bit because they attacked Keith Lee, who was her boyfriend, and that was on NXT television as a storyline, beside the point. But why would they not be on this pay-per-view? Or the the first two that we did, like, beside the point. Know, all I can say is, is that every time that you think that WWE is, like, super organized and put together and plans things out very well, then they go and do some shit like this. 
and you're like, never mind. Yes. This is actually, me talking about this th- somehow is making me like the match more, because I'm just like, at least they didn't fucking show up in their dumbass <laughs> Bane mask. And, and not even comic book Bane mask, like fucking Dark Knight Rises Bane mask, which like is the one thing I really hate about that movie. But again, whatever. I'm going to move on to the next match, the Raw Tag Team Championships. The Street, Pro- uh, the Street Profits, Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins, the champions taken on Andrade and Angel Garza. Uh, the heels take quick control of Ford. Um, Angel then rips off his pants. I have to mention that every time because it's like his gimmick and it's funny. Um, we then start to get some fake chants piped in. And we get the We Want the Smoke chant. And then we get some piped in foot stomps. And a, this is awesome chant. Which like when those happen organically, cool. That's the crowd doing it. When WWE's piping in the noises, it's kind of fucking stupid. I don't mind the cheers and the boos. Like sure, that's fine. But like when you're trying to pipe in like this is awesome that's supposed to be the most organic moment in wrestling and you're just making it false um garza hits forward with a top rope spanish fly for a two count uh then there is a hot tag to dawkins who plants andrade with a spine buster for a three count but as the camera clearly showed and the announcer said and everyone saw andrade kicked out at two quite visibly but the champions are still the street profits so what do we think I'm just, I'm really confused, because <laughs> uh, it's, it's not one of those things where it's like intention, it just seems like there's a very intentional thing that WWE does when they want to make a three count, like, disputable, um, where it's like, oh, like, you know, it, it seems like he kicked out, but who knows, like, right. we don't have a clear visual of, like, whether he did or not, but, like, clearly here, like, he definitely kicked <laughs> out at two, and I just remember, like, uh, Dawkins just kind of like looks up and like looks around, and, like looks at Andrade, and then Andrade's looking up and looking around and like kind of looking at the ref and like being like, "What?" And even after like the Street Profits got the belts, they were like, you know, kind of we won, like, we won, <laughs> like what the hell? Um, and there's like not even like it, I guess it's weird because then there's not even like an actual live crowd there to like then clearly see that he kicked out at two and then to be like oh boo like what the hell like come on man like why um so I just failed to see what the goal was here I don't know very confusing two point five oh wait no just kidding I'm reading I'm reading a previous one three out of five question mark. I liked the match, but what was that ending? Yeah. I'm just confused. So, I actually gave it a 1.5 out of 5. Oh, And I like all four men, as I've said, um, but they've been wrestling for, like, you're talking about the same match over and over again. These guys have been wrestling since before WrestleMania. And, like, they're always going to be good in the ring, but, like, at this point, you got to fucking either put the titles on Andrade and Angel Garza or just move on. Yeah. I noticed at the end that Garza looked like he was legitimately hurt, like, not fake hurt um and that i'm starting to think in my brain that might be the reason the ref tried to call an audible and do a three count but that didn't get translated to the other guys yeah so like andrade's like i'm supposed to kick out here and the ref's like no it's supposed to be a three count and that i'm starting to think was the reason of the fuck up because angel garza looked legitimately hurt i didn't see why they didn't show a replay but yeah this match was just i don't know the piped in crowd noises that weren't just cheers and boos kind of ruined it for me there was nothing too exciting except that top rope Spanish fly. Um, oh, there was also a weird tag where, like, both like both guys in the ring tagged in their partners, and then no one got in the ring because they were like, was that supposed to happen? And, like, then they got in the ring and yeah. started wrestling. I'm like, what is going on with you guys? So Vince is going <laughs> to yell at, Yeah, match? Vince is going to yell at someone backstage. Yeah. Speaking of backstage, um, back with Drew Gulak, who is like, I won the title. I want to, um, you know, dedicate this win to... Uh, oh god who was it uh, Kira Tozawa who looks like he got eaten by a shark which made me laugh because if you've been watching Raw R-Truth and Akira Tozawa fought on a beach and then R-Truth threw him off a pier and then there was like a fake shark that looked like it ate Tozawa and it was pretty fucking funny but then R-Truth comes out of nowhere and pins Drew Gulak again to win another 24-7 title so again kind of humorous moments that were completely pointless we then move on to the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship. The champion Bailey taking on Nikki Cross, but not really because Nikki Cross has COVID and they don't want you to know that. So Bailey comes out, makes fun of Nikki for not being able to compete, and issues an open challenge, then tries to make the ref say, Oh, no one wants to come out, so I win. 
but when that's when she's about to get her hand raised, Asuka's music hit. Even though Asuka's on Raw and Bailey said anyone in the SmackDown locker room. So that was confusing. Um, this match happens out of nowhere, so now it's Bailey versus Asuka. Bailey attacks Asuka's injured arm. Asuka starts to hit a German suplex on the outside, and then Bailey gets DQ'd by hitting her with a chair. And then out of nowhere comes Sasha Banks, who Bailey just turned on with a neck brace on and starts hitting her with a chair, and then the two women stare at each other because instead of continuing to fight her, the person who put you in a neck brace, you just were like, well, she's up the ramp now, so I quit. Anyway, what do we think of this kind of random impromptu match? Um, just why? <laughs> like, just take it off the card. Like, why even? I mean, okay, don't get me wrong. I kind of, I guess, understand the ending uh, where I guess this match is being used to further the storyline between, like, Bailey and Sasha Banks. But other than that, like, was it really necessary? Like... Was was I guess I guess the whole point was is Vince paying Bailey so much to be on that pay per view that he's like well I got to do something with her I can't just like waste my money. Well, you I think it's like well it's Clash of Champions all the titles have to be on the line but they didn't do anything I mean, with the I women's guess, tag titles yeah. so. Well, exactly. So like, again, what was the point? I don't know. At, at this point, I'm starting to get very like lost in this pay per view because, I guess I don't know. When, when you have, like, a specific, I, I get, like, like I've said before, I get very irritated when there's a certain, like, stipulation or, like, it's a special pay-per-view and they don't capitalize on, like, what the whole fucking point of the pay-per-view is anyways. And it's starting to become very apparent at this point in the pay-per-view that, like, like, titles aren't changing hands, you know. Mm -hmm. realistically and nothing's really progressing obviously like this match again is used to progress the storyline between her and Sasha Banks but like kind of not really so I just I don't know <laughs> so, I'm starting I'm starting to like shut down and just tune out at this point grade uh grade two out of five mm, that's five high of I gave it a one out of five okay. and that was only because I like Bailey and Asuka and, I mean, if they would have had more time, like, maybe the match would have been better, but Asuka had already wrestled. Yeah. And there's just no point to it. And it was, like you said, to further the storyline, but you could have just had Bailey come out and talk shit and then Sasha attack well, her. Exactly. And that would have made a yeah. lot... I would have been like, oh, cool, five out of five. Yeah. That's awesome. But why... Why meddle in Asuka in that equation? Yeah, Asuka's already lost to Bailey what, three times this yeah. year? Like, what the fuck? I guess she won this match, technically, because it was DQ, yeah. but, you know, whatever. Um... <laughs> Yeah, that was just, like, weird. Um, we then get the ambulance match for the WWE Championship. Drew McIntyre, the champion, taking on Randy Orton, and I can hear you now, what's an ambulance match? So we've made jokes about, like, what's the difference between an ODQ and an no-holds barred and a blah, blah, blah. Well, at least this one is an ODQ match, but to win, you have to throw your opponent in the back of an ambulance and shut both doors, because naturally, you can't... It has to be both. Um, I have seen two... There's been, like, five or six ambulance matches. Two of them stick out. Kane and Shane McMahon back in 2003, which was awesome. And then Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns had a fucking awesome one, like, two or three years ago. But this match... Eh. Um, so Drew McIntyre... This match started because Drew got kicked in the face by Randy Orton twice and then thrown in, taken out of the arena in an ambulance. And then the next week, he attacked Randy Orton, like, six times and kicked him in the face. And Randy Orton got taken out of the arena on the ambulance, so naturally we need to have an ambulance match. Um, as soon as the match was announced, again, I heard you groan. You had a lot of groans during this pay-per-view. <laughs> this one might have been out of more disgust than the earlobe thing. Um, there isn't a lot of wrestling here. It's more like, you know, violence for violence sake and like punches and kicks. However, Orton's about to go for a punt early in the match on Drew and someone grabs his leg and all you see is a hand and so you're supposed to wonder, who is this hand? But the hand is massive. And the camera shoots to him, and it's the big show, or it's the big show, who had been kicked in the face by Randy Orton previously, so he wants a little bit of revenge, and he chokeslams Orton through the announce table. Drew then takes Orton to the outside further and lawn darts him into the ambulance. They uh, pull out... <laughs> Drew pulls out crutches from the ambulance and then pulls out a red steel chair, which I thought was funny because they just took the black ones and repainted it red and then put the white ambulance cross on it. Uh, they, uh, 
Drew goes to Claymore, Randy Orton, into the uh, front door of the ambulance, but misses and kicks the door clean off its hinges. We then go backstage, and Christian attacks Randy Orton at the catering table because Randy Orton also injured Christian, who is a retired wrestler and shouldn't be in the ring anyway. Both men then end up on the hood of the ambulance, and Orton drops Drew through the windshield, and we see Drew's black back is all cut up from the glass. They go to the top of the ambulance, and out of nowhere, we get sweet chin music from Shawn Michaels because that's another person Randy Orton has attacked recently. And that's Super Kick 40 of the show, by the way, because Sweet Chin Music is just Super Kick. And at this point, I mentioned to you, if Drew McIntyre loses this match somehow, because three people have attacked Randy Orton, he's going to look like the biggest bitch on the planet. And he still almost lost the match. Like, by inches, almost lost the match. Orton counters this... Uh, sorry, Drew picks up Orton on his shoulders because he, of course, got Super Kick and thrown off the ambulance. But Orton RKO's Drew and by inches closes the door but drew gets his hand out claymore kicks orton punts orton in the face because that's randy orton's move throws orton in the ambulance closes the door retains the championship hits the back of the door to get the ambulance going and we cut to the front and rick flair's old drunk ass who is another person randy orton attacked recently is driving away and he looked like he was about to run into a wall when they got to the back but beside the point i guess on that what do we think of this match uh, I thought this match was, like, I guess kind of fun. Um, I thought the spot on the ambulance, when they're standing on top of the front of the ambulance truck, and, uh, when Randy Orton whips Drew into the windshield, and it just completely just, like, not, it doesn't shatter, obviously, because he doesn't go through the windshield. Um, that looked pretty brutal. I thought that was a pretty cool spot. Um... I definitely enjoyed that. I thought it was very campy with the appearances of Big Show and Christian and uh, Shawn Michaels. And we got a suck it player. in this, which was awesome. Yes. Because I love seeing a good suck it. Yes. Uh, and um, this match was okay. Um, again, talking... I mean, of course, this had a special stipulation, but talk about, like, seeing the same match over and over and over again. I mean, these two, while they're, like, pretty great wrestlers, like, don't have, like... I guess a variety of moves in their arsenal and can't really switch up the style mm -hmm. of wrestling uh, that they perform in. Um, and to be honest with you, like I would have liked this match way more had it been like half the time that it was. Yeah. And obviously they're, I understand their logic in giving the more uh, seasoned and um, you know bigger ticket na like named people like longer matches. But, God, sometimes it's just not fucking necessary. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, like, the reason why I get... The reason why I gave it a 2.5 out of 5 is this match just went on for way too long. Like, way too fucking long. Mm -hmm. Like, at this point, like, we, we get it. Like, we get it. What this match is supposed to be, the way it's progressed, we fucking get it. <laughs> so 2.5. Yes. Uh, I gave it a 3 out of 5, and because, again, Drew and Orton are professionals, they know what they're doing, they know how to tell a story. I think the point of the ambulance match is to be like, well, they have to put each other through so much pain, and that's kind of why they're longer. But, like, aside from, like, the cameos from the Legends, which were entertaining, there wasn't a lot of violence here. I mean, the, the, um, the windshield part was violent, but... The other two I mentioned, like Kane and Shane McMahon, Shane McMahon is insane, and Kane is like a big brute, so that match is going to be super violent, and then Braun and Roman were just throwing each other into everything, like, through glass panes and through, like, doors and whatnot, and that was super violent, and this one was just kind of pedestrian. Um, it was fun to see, like, Christian out of nowhere, and then, like, Shawn Michaels super kicking him, which I called, too. I was like, Shawn Michaels is going to show yeah. up, and he fucking did. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the match was fine. I thought that the... However, I thought that the Randy Orton almost winning after all of that made Drew look, like I said, a little bitch. Like, how do you almost lose this match when you have three people helping you? Yeah. That does not make Drew look strong. But, but I also, to be honest with you, I kind of hate those archetypes that they choose to, like, cherry-pick to people. Um, and we'll, I'll mention uh, somebody that's exactly like this momentarily. Um, but I hate just, like, those, that, that archetype that they give to certain wrestlers where it's like, oh, like, they're almost, like, unbeatable, you know? Uh, I just kind of hate that. I hate that, like, Superman-like, 
um, ability that they tend to give to certain wrestlers that I'm like, is it really necessary? I mean, they're already talented enough. Like, why isn't that enough? Yeah, but... Um, but like, I, I understand giving it to people who are, like, larger than life. Like, for example, like, Braun Strowman. Like, I understand that sort of archetype. But when you start to give it to people like uh, Roman Reigns and like Randy Orton, um, I just... It's not entertaining to me. It doesn't do anything for me. And it just, like, makes matches, like, way fucking longer than they should be. And then just doesn't make... Because even though Drew, like, ends up winning this match, it doesn't make him look better, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's almost like anybody who, like, wins against Brock Lesnar because he's that almost, quote-unquote, unbeatable, you know, type of wrestler... And even when people do win against him, it's never an impressive win. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just doesn't benefit anybody. So that's kind of, like, why I hate that. Right. No, I feel ya. Um, but again, like, if Drew would have... If we would have had that spot where Drew... The door's about to be closed on McIntyre and he's about to lose. And then his hands come through and stop the door without everyone attacking Orton. I'd be yeah. like, oh, that's a cool spot. Yeah. But with all these people attacking Randy Orton, there was no way he's about to almost beat this dude. Like, yeah. it's just, I'm, I'm beating this point into the ground at this point. But I did I say my grade? It's a three out of five. The match was fine. Okay. We then move on to the WWE Universal Championship match. Champion Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman taking on Jey Uso. And this match is special for a couple of reasons. So... Roman Reigns and Jey Uso are cousins. Very close. They grew up together. I think Roman's like three or four years older than him. So they're pretty close. Um, they come from the Anaway family, which is the big Samoan family that The Rock, Yokozuna, the Wild Samoans, Rikishi are all part of. This is Jey Uso's very first, not only singles championship match, but world championship match. He's been a tag team competitor with his brother Jimmy Uso. So they've never gone for singles titles. Jay won a four, fatal four-way match on SmackDown, which was pretty cool to see. It kind of reminded me of Kofi winning because it's, again, a guy known for tag team matches who was like, oh, we're going to thrust him into the spotlight, and that's something new, and it's something fresh. And then they started this whole cousin rivalry thing where it's like, you're my cousin, I love you, but I'm going to beat you. And that's I kind of love seeing a thing like that because it reminds me of my family. Um, of course, we had real violence instead of fake violence, but that's beside the point. Um, so the match starts with Roman easily overpowering Jay because he's got the experience, he's got the pedigree for it. Roman catches Jay with a flying clothesline. Um, for a couple minutes, Roman is just taking it to Jay until Jay fights back with a uh, sidekick, an uppercut, and a Samoan drop, which then rocks Roman. Um, Roman then again overpowers, uses his experience. Um, Jay gets in some measly offense, but it's cut off by Roman time and time again. Roman is sent over the top rope by Uso, who wastes no time going through the ropes, hitting him, hitting him with an enziguri, then doing another through the ropes attack. Uso hits a crossbody and a super kick, super kick number 41, for the one of the biggest 2.999999 counts I've ever seen. I actually jumped up and thought he was about to win the title here. Roman then hits Uso out of nowhere with Zack Ryder's old finisher, which I called out. Um... Uso dodges a spear, hits a crucifix pin, and then superkick number 42 and a top rope splash for another two count. Uh, When Roman kicks out, his left arm catches Uso in the balls, which you then see Uso start coughing, and he never recovers from here. Roman hits a spear and tells Uso to acknowledge him as his tribal chief. If you don't know, these guys are Samoan, so they, you know, have that big, like, love and family respect. Like, there's one chief, one head of the table. That's kind of the whole story of this. And Uso says no, so he hits him with another spear, but again, does not go for a pin and says, tell me I'm the chief. Uh, There's drama with the referee where Roman says, if you stop this match, I'm going to beat the crap out of you, which wouldn't make any sense because then you'd get disqualified, beside the point. Jimmy Uso then comes out, Jey Uso's twin, with a white towel and says, you need to give it up. And there's, again, this family drama we're seeing. And Jimmy says no, so Roman starts to just pound on him with fists until Jimmy Uso throws in the white towel. Roman Reigns wins by forfeit to retain the title. And at this point, I realized we did not have a single title change on the Clash of Champions show. However, what do we think? Um, so first of all, I have to commend you for making this match sound way more exciting than it actually was. Uh, I, the first thing that kind of started to irritate me was that I finally came to the realization that Paul Heyman is 
definitely a training wheel for Roman Reigns, and... You just realized this? I just don't <laughs> feel like Roman's the type of wrestler that needs a Paul Heyman figure by him. He kind of just gets in the way. But he can't talk um, on the mic very well. At least face Roman can't, but heel Roman's been pretty decent. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like at this point, like, it's... Paul's kind of unneeded. Well, um, well, quick quick aside, what... So CM Punk is probably one of the best talkers in the business, wrestling-wise. Yeah. Did you think he needed Paul Heyman? No. But it was good no. when they were together, right? No. No? You didn't no. like... Oh, wow. We'll no. get to that one, because that's going to be exciting. <laughs> um, I feel like the only person that's ever needed Paul Heyman has been Brock Lesnar, to be honest with you. And that's because he... I mean, I he probably couldn't do a promo, you know, out of, like, a wet paper sack, so... Did you ever see the promo back in 2004 where Brock Lesnar was facing Eddie Guerrero and came out with a mariachi band? That might have been one of the unintentionally racist but funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Um, but other than that, <laughs> back to the actual match, uh, there was just a lot of like really dead spots that kind of got on my nerves. I feel like this was an extremely slow match. Uh, there was even at one point where, like, for some fucking reason, and I, I couldn't even tell you why, like, so they're both out of the ring, right? And I, I just gotta be honest with you, they get in and out of the ring like 45 times in this match. Uh, that's beside the point. So they're both out of the ring. You know, ref starts counting. Ref gets to like four or five, I think. And then like Roman turns around and starts arguing with him for like a good like 20 seconds, you know? So like definitely way past 10 seconds at this point. And then like, then like doesn't get back in the Like nobody gets back in the ring, okay, to then break the count. But then, like, they continue fighting, and then the ref just, like, starts over again. I'm did like, you notice why what he, the fuck Did you that? notice why he started over again, though? Because I caught it, and Paul Heyman goes, one! And so the referee goes, one! So Paul Heyman, like, distracted the referee's count, which oh I thought was God. really funny. So, yeah, but anyways, continuing. Uh, I, I have to say, my biggest complaint about this match is the fact, like, why the fuck... Is Roman Reigns mic'd up in this match? Like, why? Yeah, you noticed that too. Why right? can I hear him? So I fucking hate that. It must be the veneers. Because, <laughs> let me tell you why I hate this. I think it is so amazing and just kind of like, I don't know. Wrestling is so performative that sometimes the mannerisms and the way they say things um, means a lot more and is way more significant than the things they actually say. Uh, particularly when Roman Reigns continues to repeat the same three lines like 80 million times. Um, it kind of just gets old at that point. And I just like the whole like call me tribal chief. Like he keeps saying that over and over again. I'm like, I think he fucking gets it. And I just, ah, oh, dude, it was, it just made me so uncomfortable. I just, I don't know. It was. I understand that he was trying to make Jay his, like, little bitch, but then it just, I don't know. I have to say, you made it, you, the way you described this match made it sound way more exciting than it actually was because it was very dead, and I feel like it just, it wasn't exciting or entertaining to watch in any sort of way, um, and by the end of it, one of my last notes was like, oh my god, can this fucking match end already? Uh, I gave it a 1.5. I hated it. I thought it was really fucking weird, and went for on for way too long, and I hate that they were mic'd up. Okay. Ew. <laughs> so I noticed something in the middle of this match. Um, they were piping in crowd noise again. Yeah. And I noticed about halfway through how ironic it was that the WWE is well known for piping in cheers for Roman Reigns when he was faced because people were booing him because they didn't want to see him, and now they're piping in boos for a dude mm -hmm. who's now a heel. Which I think is just hilarious. You couldn't get people to cheer this dude, so you had to pipe in cheers. And now you're having to pipe in booze for the guy that you made everyone cheer. Like, I thought that was hilarious. Um, and it, like I said, it took me halfway through the match to realize this. However, this match reminded me a little bit of my brother and I, and a couple of my cousins and I, because I was like the runt of the litter. And so all my cousins and my brother, we, they said they were play fighting with me, but they were beating the crap out of me. Like... And me trying to, like, be a part of this group of people who were older than me and bigger than me was just like, I don't quit. When they're literally punching me in the face and kicking me and, like, breaking my hand and whatnot. 
And so I kind of get the whole, like, say I'm the chief because my brother would be like, say I'm the fucking man and punch me in the dome as hard as he could. And I'd be like, no, because I don't want you to think I'm a little bitch. So I kind of got that and it resonated with me. And it reminded me of, like, being a kid and getting the crap kicked out of me. Now, naturally, this is, like you said, performative. And he's not really beating up his cousin. But I got it. And I, I kind of liked it in a weird masochist sort of way. Um, and I'm going to shock you and say I liked this match. Uh, and I gave it a 4.5 out of 5. <laughs> because of, A, Jay Uso. Like, he put on a great show in his very first title match. Uh, he's a very good wrestler, very good tag team wrestler. And he got the right amount of offense. But he had to go against, you know, the big dog, the chief, that sort of thing. Um, but I really liked it, man. I, like I said, I thought he was going to win at that one point, which wouldn't have made sense in wrestling logic. It doesn't make sense that he's going to win. But in my brain and fan logic, I was like, holy shit, he almost won. And I kind of liked the family drama. I liked the ref drama. I liked Jimmy Uso coming out. And maybe it's some weird thing I had with my, like I said, my family beating the crap out of me when I was a kid, but it reminded me of being a kid. And so that's why I gave it a 4.5 out of 5. I think the right man won. I mean, like, I like Jey Uso, but hopefully he gets another title shot in the future. But, like, now wasn't the time. But, yeah, I knew you were going to give me that look she, she's giving me, which is a look of disbelief. But I really did enjoy this match. A lot of this match. I thought it was very good, and it told easily the best story of the night. So on that note, we're going to give our... I'm going to have Olivia give her match of the night, performer of the night, and her final grade. And then, of course, I'll do mine. So, go right ahead. Um, I have to say, my match of the night has to be the triple threat ladder match. That was the only entertaining one, in my opinion, of the night. Uh, performer of the night has to go to Jeff Hardy, because holy shit, dude. <laughs> like, stop trying to kill yourself for our entertainment. We love you, but stop. Uh, Mick Foley the, stopped, man. Like, why yeah. can't you? <laughs> my final rating has to be a 2.5 out of 5. Um, there was nothing particularly, like, awful about this pay-per-view. Okay matches. I hated that, like, titles didn't change hands at all. Because um, I feel like that's kind of the fucking point. If you're going to have a whole pay-per-view dedicated to, like, people defending their titles, like, why they're gonna make the argument that the intercontinental title changed hands but it, but it didn't, didn't because Sami Zayn was a champion yeah so. um so yeah it was it wasn't the worst pay-per-view I've ever seen no. but definitely just nothing okay. spectacular kind of middle of the road yeah all right so if you didn't notice by what I just said my match of the night was Roman Reigns and Jey Uso I just loved it I just really loved it and my performer of the night goes to Jey Uso I mean he did kind of what Dominic Mysterio did a few pay-per-views ago and he you know, came into his own, put on a very good match, sold the story very well, and that's what I like to see. Because if we're just going by wrestling standards or, like, shock value, Jeff Hardy would have been the former of the night, but he'll get that plenty of times in the future. I had to give it to Jay Uso here. My match of the night... Oh, no, I just said match of the night. Sorry. Uh, I did a attire of the night the past couple pay-per-views, and I'm going to give it to the Street Profits here. I really like that, like, dark royal blue and gold that they were wearing, even though their match was probably my least favorite of the night. And my final grade is a 3 out of 5, and it's mostly held up by the three-way ladder match. The opening and the, the final match, the ladder match and the, the universal title match. Um, the ambulance match was kind of cheesy fun, and the uh, SmackDown tag title match was pretty decent. Lashley and Apollo was okay, but I really didn't like the women's title match. I did not like the Raw tag team title match. Um, and there was no point in Asuka having a second match against Bayley, so... It's getting a 3 out of 5. It's like middle of the road with just like little perks that kind of took it over that edge. But yeah, that was Clash of Champions 2020. And I realized something just now. You didn't ask me an opening question. No, I did not. But that's okay. You don't have one for me at all? Uh, I mean, it's the end of the... No, no, now I need to know. Now we're doing it as a closing question, but I need to know the uh, opening question. Okay. Um, my... Well, my opening question was going to be, uh, since in, in considering uh, the ladder match mm -hmm. where uh, Sami Zayn is not the first one to um, win technically two Intercontinental titles at the same time um, in a ladder match, uh, in your opinion, what is the most overused and slash or overrated storylines in wrestling history? Ooh. That's a, that's a good question, and I'm sure there's, like, more in-depth answers I could think of if I had, like, a lot of time to think about it. 
But the one that always kind of annoys me is just the whole, um, hey, you're the champion, and, like, some random dudes attack. Like, I'm the champion, and you attack me out of nowhere, and you're like, I want a title shot. And it's like, oh, what did you do to deserve the title shot? Nothing, I attacked you. That one has always pissed me off. Like, there, I love a thing where it's just like, Jey Uso winning a Fatal 4-Way to become number one contender. That is a great story. Zelina Vega winning a, uh, I think, triple threat match to become number one contender. That's a good story. Um, anyone winning any match to become number one contender. Or, say, someone gets injured and they come back from an injury and they want revenge. Like, Edge did that on Chris Jericho, like, 10 years ago. That's a good story. But when it's just like, I'm the next guy in line... To, because that's always kind of annoyed me. I'm like, just put some story into it, I guess. Like, a little bit of something. I also hate um, any sort of racial stereotypes, which we'll get to at, like, WrestleMania 19, where Triple H makes Booker T out to be some black criminal, and he uses the word black criminal on many occasions. That one kind of threw me for a loop back in the day. And at 13, I was just like, that's not okay. So those are also a bad one. But I'm sure there's like a more in-depth answer I could think of. But yeah, I'd probably go with just the like, I deserve a shot because I'm the best out of nowhere. That, or you know what? Actually, best in the world is an annoying one because do you know how many people use I'm the best in the world? And like, are you? Like, <laughs> you know, but yeah, that, w- that would be my answer. Um, we will be back next week with what I thought was going to be back to February to do Elimination Chamber, but I just remembered that NXT TakeOver 31 is next Sunday. So we'll be reviewing that next week. But thanks for joining us. Olivia, do you have any parting words? I do not. Okay. Well, I love you. And thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening, guys.